0: Amen. It is so good to be in church. I'm excited for today. I have a fun topic to talk about. We're gonna talk about fasting today. Woo! And this was a fun sermon to prepare. I'm really excited. I know you're gonna be jacked up at the end. I'm praying for that. But if you're new with us, I just want to say again, I know we've said this multiple times, but we're so glad you're here, and I would love to meet you after service. And we're just praying that two things would happen every single week, that people who come here would feel welcome, and that you would encounter God. So if that happens, I feel like we've succeeded. Uh, so I just want to show you, or tell you where our heart is. We want you to feel warmly welcomed and encounter God. Okay, so when I was a freshman at UNI, I got involved with a campus ministry called Chi Alpha. Has anybody heard of Chi Alpha here? Okay, we have some Chi Alpha kids here today, as now Chi Alpha is connected with our church. But I came in, I got involved with this campus ministry. It's the first year that it was having worship services on the campus, and I was playing drums on the team. In that first worship service, our campus pastor challenged us to fast all day long on our day of service. So on Thursdays, we had service, fast all day, and then have service, and then after that, break the fast at Buffalo Wild Wings. Okay, and I was excited, because I'm like, that's a new challenge, I've never fasted before, and I'm sure this will be pretty easy, I can do this. I thought it was gonna be great, but here's the thing about me, I'm a big breakfast guy. Okay, so if I don't have breakfast, then it's a bad day for me, usually. And when it got to 9 a.m., I was struggling. Like, I was in class, I'm like, oh my gosh, God, this is the hardest thing that's ever happened in my life. I have not eaten any food yet. And then I went back to my dorm at lunchtime, and there was a banana sitting on my mini-fridge. And I was staring at that banana, saying, I really want to eat it. And I just lay there on my futon in agony. Like, ah! Oh. I wasn't praying, really, just agony. And I think I ate the banana. I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure I might have grabbed it and ate it and just kind of justified it. said, I'm just doing a, a fast besides bananas. You know, I changed the rules in the middle of it, which I'm telling you, you're gonna be tempted to change the rules when you fast next week. But uh, so we... Broke the fast after beat ups, and to be be honest, I didn't really get a lot out of it that day because I don't think I was actually fasting. I think I was more just starving myself because I wasn't doing anything spiritual with it. I was just not eating. The thing I failed to understand that day is that fasting is not just like, it's not just, you know, sacrificing something for God. It's not meant to just be an act of self-denial to show that you are serious, that you're for real, like, God, look at me. I'm fasting, I'm denying myself, I am awesome. It's not a way to get God to do what you want, although sometimes he does answer prayers when you fast. Instead, fasting is a way to empty ourselves of the things of the world, the things that distract us from God, and to focus on him. It's an intentional way to decrease our hunger for the things of the world and increase our hunger for the things of God. Okay, so C.S. Lewis said it this way, he's not talking about fasting, but it applies. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires uh, not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't not imagine what is meant by the offer of a a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Our problem is not that we want the things of the world too strongly, not just that, it's that we don't want God bad enough. That's why we struggle to fast. We struggle to fast because, you know, we may want to be hungry for God like we may, if you're a Christian, hopefully you desire to be hungry for God, but if you're very honest, most of us are not super hungry for God because we don't pray, we don't read the Bible. Our actions show us that we're not actually that hungry because if we were hungry for God, we would be excited about fasting. And I'm talking to myself because as I look towards next Sunday, I'm struggling. I'm like, I'm a little excited, but I'm kind of not. I really want to eat next week. I'm already like, like struggling with it. So our problem is not, that, not just that we want the things of the world too strongly, but instead we don't want God strong enough. Your desires aren't too, aren't too strong for the things of the world. They're too weak for God. As a culture, we have some misconceptions about fasting. You know, Some of us think that, that fasting is just something that super spiritual people do, like pastors fast. And some of us think of fasting as a way to trim off a few pounds. You know, I fasted last year at the beginning of the year. I was a little bit over the weight I wanted to be at. I'm like, this will be kind of nice. I'm going to lose a couple pounds. And I did. But then I gained it back over the summer. But anyways, <laughs> others, others of us think of fasting as something we have to do to please God. We have no joy in our fasting and we do it begrudgingly. We need to understand that fasting is not just some religious obligation that we have to do. It's, it's not something for more spiritual people. It's not a diet and said our fasting's not an obligation it's an opportunity fasting helps us get free of the idols in our lives and helps us become the person that god has called us to be fasting is a way to get or to get more of god in our lives it's an intentional way to draw near to him as with all the spiritual disciplines fasting is not the point okay it's not like fasting is the end like if you fast then god's gonna love you and that's great you you checked off a spiritual checkbox it's not the point the point of fasting is to get more of god right that's why we do it it's not just to prove something to him it's it's to get more of him in our lives and that's the whole reason we do any spiritual discipline that's why you read your bible that's why you pray okay so if when you read your bible you feel really good and you're like wow i please god and when you don't, you feel condemned, you're doing it wrong. Because reading your Bible is not something you have to do. It's not like a burden thrown on your back. Instead, it's just a portal to connecting with God. It's an opportunity. And the same thing applies for fasting. Fasting is an opportunity to connect more with God. And if we're truly hungry for God, we're gonna wanna use any means necessary to get closer to him. And that's what this whole series is about. It's called Whole Heart. Okay, so this series is all about how spiritual disciplines help us connect with Jesus, how spiritual disciplines help us abide with Jesus. That's the point of the disciplines. And for the first discipline, we're talking about fasting. So last week, we talked about kind of an overview of the series, and now we're talking about fasting. And it's not because I think it's most important. It's not because it's the one I wanted to start with. It's very practical in the sense that we're starting a time of fasting. So I thought I should maybe explain what fasting is before we do that. Okay, so that's why we're starting with fasting. But I'm excited to see what God has for us if you have your Bibles and I hope you do, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Okay, God's about to do something in this place. I believe he's going to speak to us, I believe. The Holy Spirit's going to break out when we're talking about fasting. I don't know how it's going to happen, but you know, Holy Spirit can do anything he wants to do. Okay, so Matthew chapter 6 verse 16 through 18. And Matthew 6 is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. So when you're reading the Bible, it's important that you read it in context. Okay? You understand like where the specific scripture is placed and why it's placed there. Okay? So Matthew 6 is a part of a broader sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew 5 through 7. And this sermon is, is probably Jesus' greatest sermon. It's really an instruction guide for, uh, straight from the mouth of Jesus on how to live as his disciples in our fallen world. And let me just say that after everything that happened this last week in our country, and it was a crazy week, I don't know about you, but it was, I thought it was a crazy week. Or is this just normal now? I don't know. But it was a crazy week. And after everything that's happened, I believe that that now more than ever, we need the Sermon on the Mount. We need to know how to be Jesus people in this very unique American moment. I think it would be healthy for each of us to spend time in the Sermon on the Mount, but that's not the point of the sermon today, but I do want to just kind of share the context of the sermon, okay? So, you know, Jesus starts with the Beatitudes, and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He says, blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for Christ's sake. Jesus says when these things happen, when you have this posture, you are going to be blessed. And then he goes into another part of this sermon where he says that, he says we shouldn't be angry with our brother. We should never insult our brother. He says, instead of anger, you should reconcile with those you have issues with. And then he calls us not to lust. He calls us not to get divorced. He calls us to love our enemies. He calls us to love our enemies. He calls us to love our enemies, love our enemies, love our enemies. He calls us not to retaliate when people hurt us. He calls us to put down our weapons, so to speak, and follow his way of denying ourselves and laying down our lives for others. That's the context of this. Okay, So I thought it was important to share that. But then he gets into Matthew 6, which is the most important for our discussion today. And he says, there's three things that Christians should do. If you're going to follow me, he says you should pray, you should fast, and you should give. Okay. And the way he says this, he says, when you give, and he gives instructions. He says, when you pray, he gives instructions. And then he gets to, when you fast, this is how you should do it. Okay. So Jesus just assumed that these are things that his followers would do. And this teaching here is actually the most explicit teaching on fasting in the entire Bible As the Bible is full of stories of people who fasted, but it never really explains it that well. And the reason is it was so common for the people of God to fast. It was something they did. They didn't even think it was really necessary to explain how to do it. Okay, so here in 16 through 18, we get the most explicit teaching. And I wanna just take it and see where God takes us through this passage. Okay, so let's read it here and then see what God has for us as we look at fasting. It says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. And truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But instead, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret or secret will reward you. Okay, let's pray over this. Jesus, we thank you for your presence. God, we thank you that you've called us to be Jesus' people in such a time as this. God, what an opportunity. As the world seems dark, as the world seems divided and grim, you have called us to shine your light. And God, one of the ways that you've called us to shine your light is by denying ourselves through fasting so we can get more of you into us. So, God, I pray that you would call each of us into this today and that this would be a holy moment for our church. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Jesus begins his main teaching on fasting by addressing our motives when we fast. He tells us not to do it in a way that draws attention to ourselves. He says, don't disfigure your faces. So like if you're fasting and you're like walking around like, I'm hungry. You're doing it wrong, okay? So don't disfigure your face or let people know that you're fasting. If you do, you already received your reward because people think you're spiritual. Okay, you got your reward. Instead, do it in secret, he says. Focus on being seen by your father in secret. And when you do this, you will be rewarded, and when Jesus speaks of rewards, he, it's easy to view it as a transactional thing. Like, if you do this, then God will do that for you. Okay, so if I give, God's going to give me more money back. If I pray, then God has to answer my prayers. I mean, I prayed once this whole year. Why is he not answering my prayers? If I fast one time, if I give up, you know, I don't even give up food, but I decided to give up, like, Twitter or something, which that's all too relevant right now, but I give up Twitter... And it's like, okay, why isn't God blessing me? Okay, that's not how it works, okay? That's not how rewards work. The reward is more of Jesus in your life. That is the reward. That's why we pray. That's why we give. That's why we fast. We want more of Jesus now. Not we want him to give us more stuff. We are so clouded out by the things of the world. We need a vision from God, and when we fast, we're saying, God, we want the reward of being able to see things the way you see things God, we want the reward of being able to empty ourselves of the things that distract us from you. That's the reward. It's not about you getting something for God. We far too often as followers of Jesus in our moment, we do things to try to get God to do stuff for us. No, we do it because Jesus already gave his life for us and we are always forever in debt to him. And all we want is more of Christ. That's why we fast. (laughs) We don't fast to be seen by others. We fast because we want to be more hungry for God. So the first point this morning is this, if you're taking notes, and I sure hope you are. Fasting supercharges our pursuit of God. Again, Jesus viewed fasting as one of the regular things that you would do as a follower. You know, when you pray, when you give, when you fast, okay? So since he assumed we would do these things, it's obviously a wise thing to do them. It's an act of obedience to Jesus. And Jesus is even more clear about The duty of fasting in Matthew chapter 9. It says this, Then the disciples of John came to Jesus, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? I can just imagine, like, challenging Jesus. It's interesting. Okay. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. The bridegroom is Jesus. And then they will fast. Okay, so Jesus says that his disciples weren't fasting then because they were already with him. They didn't need uh, more of Jesus necessarily because they already had him with them. But then when Jesus is taken from them, when he ascends to heaven, then they will fast. Okay, so Jesus assumed that after he left earth, we would fast as his followers so we could draw closer to him. So when we fast, we are obeying King Jesus. We are obeying him. And every time you obey God, Every time you do what he's telling you to do, it's a declaration that you are serious about pursuing him. You're saying, God, I know that your vision for my life is better than my vision, and I am serious about getting more of you in my life, so I'm going to obey what you told me to do, even if I don't really feel like it. In celebration of discipline, Richard Foster says this about these two passages in chapter six and nine. He says, for the person longing for a more intimate relationship with Jesus, these statements of Jesus are drawing words. These statements like, when you fast, then they will fast. And where are the people today who will respond to the call of Christ? Have we become so accustomed to cheap grace that we instinctively shy away from the more demanding calls for obedience? Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, so grace without actually trying to become like Jesus. It's grace without the cross. Okay, so fasting, it's not only an act of obedience, though. It's an act of worship. That's why it's vital that every time we fast, we couple it with prayer and couple it with worship. It's not something we should just do on our own. Like you know, like for me that day, I was staring at that banana. I definitely wasn't staring at Jesus, right? If we're going to fast, we need to stare at Jesus. That's the only way you're going to get through it. In Luke two thirty-seven, we see an example of this. It's, it's talking about a prophetess in the temple. It says she did not depart from the temple. She was worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And then we see it again in Acts thirteen two that this idea that Every time we fast, we should worship as well. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Fasting must be joined with prayer and worship because the, its primary aim is to worship God and pursue him. It's a way to train our hearts to be hungrier for God than we are for food. And Jesus himself fasted. Just before beginning his public ministry, the Holy Spirit drove him out into the wilderness, into a desolate place. So maybe you feel like you're in a personal wilderness right now, a personal desolate place. The Holy Spirit sometimes drives you there to bring you to the end of yourself. Okay, so Jesus is driven out to the desert. He fasts for 40 days and 40 nights, and the devil's kind of crawling around out there trying to tempt him. And then Jesus says this, I love Jesus. Every time the devil tempted him, he just came back with the word of God. He had the word of God uh, so uh, just or strongly in his heart, that it just could come out in these moments. It says this in in verse four. It said, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So for me, man does not live by raising canes alone, but by (laughs) every word that comes from the mouth of God. Okay, so when we fast, we are training our hearts to not live by chicken tenders alone, but by God's spirit and by God's word. It's a... It's a way to say we depend on, we are satisfied by, and we are sustained by God alone. As we talked about last week, we kind of struggle in our culture right now with giving our attention to the wrong things. We are so distracted by social media and television, we are actually overly consumed with food as well, and I'm talking about myself here, and we are satisfied with things other than God. And when we fast, we are saying we are not going to let ourselves just be satisfied by the things of the world, but instead we want to be satisfied by God. And as we fast, God will help us wean off of things that are distracting us from him. He's gonna wean us off from the things of the world that so often control us. Instead of the things of the world being our master, the Holy Spirit inside of us will begin to master those things so we'll be able to say no. Fasting is a way to or to loosen sin's grip on your life. So maybe you come in here this morning and you have an addiction or something you're struggling with, some type of sin that is just nagging at you. Maybe fasting is the key to getting free of that sin. As you learn to say no to food, it'll help you say no to that sin. In Galatians 5, 16 and 17, let's go. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The flesh and the Holy Spirit are opposed to each other. The more we feed our flesh, the harder it's going to be for the Holy Spirit to take mastery over our hearts. But the more we feed the Holy Spirit, the harder it is for the flesh to have its way. Okay, so a practical way to grow in saying no to our fleshly passions and and getting the Holy Spirit to be the master of them is to say no to food. It's a very practical way to starve out our flesh. And I'm not saying you starve yourself, okay? Don't do that, okay? Okay. I don't want anybody going to the hospital. Okay, so we all struggle with keeping our stomachs in their proper place. And fasting is a very vivid way to tell our stomachs and our flesh that they do not have control over us. But Jesus Christ is king. We don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that doesn't mean there's not a time for feasting. Okay, somebody, we need to grow in feasting, and celebration. We need to have some fun, Christians should be the best partiers in the world. I'm not saying you go to the bars and get drunk, okay? So don't you dare go out there and say, sent church, baby, woo! But I am saying we need to party, right? Because our Jesus, he's Lord. He's defeated death, and hell, and the grave. We need to know how to do it. But that's for another time. Right now we get to starve ourselves. <laughs> We need to not only have times of feasting on food, and and we're honest, we like to feast on our own. We just struggle to do it together and celebrate together. But we need not just times of, of feasting on food, but times of feasting on the word of God and saying, no, I'm not gonna be controlled by this. So again, if you're struggling in your life with something, I believe fasting might be the portal to getting free of that. Again, Richard Foster says, our human cravings and desires are like rivers that tend to overflow their banks and fasting helps keep them in their proper channels. Okay, so with that said, fasting, it helps us pursue God. It helps us, or it's an act of obedience, it's an act of worship, it's a way to be satisfied in God alone, and it's a way to say no to our fleshly desires. Fasting supercharges our pursuit of God. Okay, so I've been trying to incorporate fasting into my weekly rhythms. I try to fast one lunch per week, and I have good stretches, and then I have really bad stretches where I just forget about it for a while. And recently, I was in the midst of a busy week, and I had a ton of important, exciting, and kind of burdensome things going on, good things, but heavy things. And I decided I needed to fast lunch to try to pray for God to break through in these situations. And I went on a prayer walk, and during that prayer walk, it was really normal. Nothing crazy happened. I was just kind of praying about these different things. And that afternoon, I settled into my sermon writing. And I'm going to be honest, sermon writing is a heavy task, okay? Because you're like, I got to speak for God to people? Who the heck am I? Why would they listen to me, especially when I go for 50 minutes? Why would anyone listen to that, okay? I'm not going for 50 minutes, hopefully. You can check the timestamp after online. Okay, so point is, I'm feeling the burden of sermon writing, but but there's something that day when I was really hungry and feeling really weak physically, and it was only one meal, so it's not that big a deal, but for me it is, and I'm sitting there, and I can just feel the peace of God as I'm writing, unlike any other time I've been writing a sermon, just like this peace and this focus. My body felt weak, but my spirit felt strong. Fasting that day was not a portal to get God to move those situations that I wanted him to, although sometimes it's for that, but that day God just wanted more of my heart. And he just wanted me to have peace that surpassed understanding. And fasting was a way to get the stuff out and get him in. Fasting supercharged my pursuit of God. If you're wanting to pursue God more passionately, I wanna challenge you to incorporate the regular discipline of fasting into your life, whether that be a meal a week or a meal a month or whatever, but get it into your life. And don't only do that, though. Participate next week in the 14 days of prayer and fasting and kick off this year in the right way. Okay, so fasting, it doesn't only help us pursue God, though although that is its primary purpose, it it also invites God to move powerfully in our circumstances. And I'm telling you, when you fast, he does. Like, it is insane the kind of stuff God does when you fast. And it doesn't always happen, but I've seen God move in power when you fast. So the second point and final point, fasting unlocks supernatural breakthrough in our lives. Okay, so fasting can increase our power in prayer and help us see breakthrough happen. So we talked a little bit earlier about how we're supposed to fast in secret, how we're supposed to just seek God, and how the Father rewards us when we do that. And one of those rewards is God breaking through in our lives. We see it all throughout Scripture that, that when the people of God have their backs against the wall, they typically call a corporate fast, or maybe they fast individually, and then all of a sudden God goes, boom, and moves It's insane. We see it in the book of Esther. So the people of God are being threatened with genocide. Okay, they're about to be wiped out. And they're like, we don't know what to do. We don't have power. We don't know what to do. And they call a corporate fast. And then God breaks through in their situation and frees them from that. And that's why we're doing this 14 days of prayer and fasting. We want God to break through in our church, in our city, in our nation, in our world. But we also see it happen in the lives of individuals. You see, specifically in the life of Daniel, Okay, so you maybe have heard about the Daniel fast. I think it's become a diet more than it's become a spiritual thing. But in Daniel chapter 10, we see that as he fasted, or things changed in the spiritual realm. As he's fasting, an angel comes to him and says this. Okay, so maybe this will happen for you on your 14 days of prayer and fasting. (laughs) Verse 12. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, Whoa. God heard him, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. Okay, so Daniel feels led to fast, and then he finds out that his fasting, his humbling himself before God, enabled an angel to break free from demonic opposition. That's what the king of Persia there is referring to, demonic opposition. Because of his prayer and fasting, an angel was able to break free of a demonic struggle. Whoa! Come on, let's do it! That sounds awesome! And then he comes, and he gives Daniel some understanding for a vision. Fasting changes things in the spiritual realm. It's an assault on the enemy and his schemes. It is a direct assault. It's saying, I am serious about breakthrough. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Fasting helps us wrestle against these forces. In the gospel of Mark, the disciples are struggling to cast out a demon. And then Jesus comes and he's like, booyah, and the demon gets out. And they ask him afterwards, why couldn't we do it, Jesus? I feel that way sometimes. I read stuff in the scripture. I see God doing great things, and then I'm not able to do it. I'm like, why can't I do it? And Jesus says, this kind can only come out by prayer. And then some manuscripts say, and fasting, okay? But all of them say by prayer. But the thing is, we know that fasting has something to do with it, as we see in Daniel chapter 10, as fasting helped that angel break through from that demonic opposition, Fasting changes things in the spiritual realm. In 2017, I did my very first beginning of the year fast. It was a 21-day fast. And I was not that excited about it, but my church was doing it, so I'm like, I'm a pastor, I should do it. Okay, so I didn't fast super well, and my heart was not in it the whole time. I'm pretty sure I broke the fast on day 18. Don't tell anybody, though. This is between us, okay? I just wanted to get to the end so I could go out to eat again. I love going out to eat. It's a problem. It's a problem for the bank account and for the the gut, but I'm I'm working on it, okay? But I do believe that God, I believe he saw my heart and he honored it. Before that, I'd never done really any fasting, okay? So 18 days, not bad. Okay, going into that fast, my primary focus was raising more money for Chi Alpha. You see, Chi Alpha campus missionaries, they have to raise money to be able to be on the campus, And, and my support was struggling. At the end of 2016, I had lost a couple of my biggest supporters. I was way underfunded. I was the director of the campus ministry. I'm like, God, can you please help me raise this money. I kid you not, five days into the fast, I got a call from three different churches saying they wanted to partner with us or have us come in for a service. I didn't ask them, they asked me out of the blue. It was crazy, one of those churches that called me was actually a church in Clinton, and they asked us to come and speak on February, I think it was like 17th or somewhere around there, but point is, that doesn't matter to you. I came in and spoke there about a month and a half later, and I shared a window, you know, like a window is what our missionaries do when they come here. I kinda try to inspire people for the campus, and it was incredible. There were two girls in that service. And they're both here right now. So we got Isabel Wolf right here in the blonde. Raise your hand just so people. Okay, so Isabel, she sings. Can we give Isabel a round of applause for worship leading? Come on. And then Lauren Schaff, just back there behind her. Come on, right there. So she takes pictures a lot. Can we give Lauren? And she does kids ministry and a bunch of other stuff. So, okay, so both of them were in that service. They were high school seniors. Lauren was there because her parents went to church there. And she, and she went there every week. She was a Christian. You know, she was... Following Jesus, but Isabel was there for the very first time that day. Her parents had decided to come check out a church, and Isabel was not following the Lord. She was partying, you know, just kind of doing her own thing. And again, we should party, but there's a right way to do it, okay? So, anyways, and she wasn't doing the right way, and I'm just kidding. But uh, so she comes in, and it was incredible. We got to meet both of them, and Lauren was pretty nervous about coming to school out, you and I, you know, just kind of shy, kind of nervous. She's not shy at all now. I'm kidding, she's a little shy, but, but I'm not throwing you under the bus, but, it, but anyway, she was a little nervous, and it was cool, as we were able to connect with her and kind of give her some confidence, like, hey, we'll be there for you when you get here, and then Isabel, she was like hiding behind Lauren, like, hi, and, uh, and she comes up, I meet her, and I'm thinking in my head, I'm just gonna be honest with you, I'm sorry, Isabel, but I thought, there's no way she's gonna come to Chi Alpha, okay, but it was crazy, some cool things happened over that summer, and she gave her heart to Jesus right before she came to campus. Okay, it was crazy. She gave her heart to Jesus through that youth group. It was amazing. And God spoke to her during a camp service. You know, camp is something that youth groups do. And said, Isabel, you're gonna lead worship at that Chi Alpha. Okay, and at the time, we had a ton of worship leaders. I was like, we have the best worship team ever. We don't really need anybody else. I didn't say that to her. I'm thinking that. And, uh, And that year, we lost all of our worship leaders. They all transitioned to do other things. And then Isabel stepped in. And she was just like, has this beautiful voice if you didn't know. It's been amazing. She's kind of been one of our primary worship leaders in St. Church four years later. It's amazing what God was doing. And then Lauren has been one of our most effective small group leaders. They both have been officers for Chi Alpha. And it's just been amazing what God has done. And I believe that it all started with that fast. I believe God said, I'm going to bring you two amazing young girls. But it's going to come through fasting so it can all get set up in the right way. But that's the thing, it wasn't just that though. My support that year grew exponentially. I didn't ask anyone for money and my support grew by 50% that year. And people ask me, how do you raise money? I don't know. You pray, I don't really know. I'm not good at it, but somehow God just brought the money and I really believe that fasting was the portal to that year of breakthrough. If we wanna see God move in power in our lives, we have to fast. It's gotta be a regular discipline. And it's gotta be something we do at the beginning of the year to kind of set it aside and say, this year is for you, God. We want you to move in this year. You notice that service did not happen when I was fasting. It happened later, but the fasting blazed the trail for that. As we look towards next week and thinking about what we might fast, I wanna just give you a brief explanation of, of the different types of fast, And then we're almost done. So if somebody's like, yes, we can stop talking about this brilliant, not fun topic. Okay, so types of fast. okay? Three different types. There's an absolute fast. Okay, so this is extreme. This means you don't drink any water or food. Like, this is, like, a short amount of time, okay? So don't you dare say, I'm fasting everything for 14 days. I, th- I think people did it in the Bible but they were, like, crazy dudes, like Moses, okay? So I'm just saying, like, you, you bring that to your doctor. You bring it to the Lord, okay? I'm not responsible for you doing that. But well, the point is, no food or water. This should usually be one day or at most three days. You can't really go past three days, you know. Um, yeah, your body needs water. That's the point. Okay, so second point, or second type of fast and this is the one we see most in scripture this is where you drink just water but you got to drink a ton of it you got to drink a ton of it and you don't need any food for a number of days maybe you do it for one day maybe you do it for seven days if you go beyond that again you might want to talk to your doctor make sure it's good but but we see this all over scripture and i know a lot of people who do this right so it's possible but that but that's not something you should just go and do if you never fast so if you try to do that and you haven't fasted i guarantee you you're going to be eating food by day three or day two, actually probably by the first night if you've never fasted. I'm not gonna lie to you because you're gonna be thinking, I got 14 days of this, no way I'm making it. Let's go to McDonald's, okay? <laughs> so the third, and with that one too, you can drink some juices and, and maybe some broth if you want to. But the third one, I think this one's probably gonna be the one for most of us, including me, I'm doing the partial fast. This is giving up particular food and drinks. And, and we see this, or food or drinks, and we see this in the Bible uh, most specifically with Daniel, the one we talk about all the time, the Daniel fast, right? It's like, like really hip right now. And what it says in verse 3 of chapter 10, it says that he abstained from meat, from delicacies, and from, and from wine, okay? So people commonly view this fast as just eating fruits and vegetables and whole grains, nuts and seeds, and water, and drinking water, okay? That's how they view it typically, although all we see in the Scripture is delic- or delicacies and meat, and wine so that would mean that you're not eating like meat you're not eating dairy probably i mean again it's up to you processed food solid fats bread sweeteners and so forth i don't want to get in the weeds on this okay because you can google it and say what is a daniel fast and they'll give you all the rules but the point is not the rules okay that's not the point the point is deciding between you and god what am i going to give up and then doing it right so for you if you eat or if you have like three cupcakes a day you're probably not going to be able to do the daniel fast like, just giving up the cupcakes might help, right? That might be a good thing. But you have to really seek the Lord and see what he wants you to do. So this is my recommendation for the 14 days of prayer and fasting. I would recommend either you do a partial fast for all 14 days, or you do a normal fast, so, you know, no food, and just water for a day or two, maybe three. Again, if you haven't done it, I don't know about that. You gotta figure that out. Or you fast one meal a day throughout the whole thing. So you say, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna eat lunch for the entire 14 days. But the Or The key thing is not just that you're fasting, but that you're spending more time with the Lord. Okay, it's not about just doing some active self-denial or being legalistic. It's about praying and worshiping and seeking God and reading His Word in a greater way than you did before. So, for example, if you're not going to eat lunch, then you should probably go on a prayer walk or spend time in Bible reading and prayer during that time. You need to fill that time with the Word of God. Okay, that's the important thing. We're, We're taking food out and we're filling that space with more of God. And encourage you the most important thing is to plan this week for it get a plan okay so if you don't know how to cook anything with fruits and vegetables or with vegetables you might want to start planning for that and have a plan next week because when you get here on Sunday morning we've already started the fast all right it starts on Sunday at midnight okay so I don't want you to come in and be like oh crap I forgot I don't know if I'm supposed to say crap oh shoot I don't know if that's okay either oh whatever (laughs) and then be like I forgot I can't fast now okay so plan for it but if you do forget I'll give you grace, you can start at 11, you're not out of it, okay? I'm kidding, we're not gonna check or anything on you and see if you're fasting, but, but this is just an invitation, this is not an obligation, right? We're not gonna go and say, what are you all fasting, let's go around the room, because again, that misses the point, Matthew chapter 6, I don't know if you remember that scripture, but the point is it's between you and God, and we're gonna do this as a church, okay? So the main idea this morning is this, my favorite sermon ever, ever is fasting, helps us give our whole hearts to Jesus, okay? That could be the main idea of every sermon coming up because we're gonna talk about a spiritual discipline and that spiritual discipline helps you give your whole heart to Jesus. I don't know what brought you here this morning. I don't know why you're tuning in online if you are. I know this sermon is not like the most tear-jerking or exciting sermon ever, but I believe it's a vital word for our day. I believe it is so important even if you just get the basic principle of it, we are so surrounded by advertising, by noise, temptations, and even very good things that are constantly trying to distract us from God. They're constantly trying to take our attention away from Jesus. The world is set up to distract us from the things that actually matter and to enslave us to our fleshly passions. We are told that it's wrong to tell ourselves no. We must indulge every desire, follow your heart, do whatever you want to do, that's what we're told. We're told that to say no to ourselves is some type of sin. And as we constantly say yes to whatever desire comes up over and over again without checking them, we eventually come to this place where we can't say no to anything. And we become slaves to our passions. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, or you're watching online, God has a word for you. I believe, and he's, he's starting with me, I believe he is gently rebuking us this morning for being undisciplined, and for being slaves to our passions, and he's calling him to let him be the master of our passions. He's calling us to say no to our flesh and yes to the Holy Spirit. He desperately wants our hearts, but if we keep filling our hearts with the things of the world, all the things other than God, then there's no way for him to get our hearts. We are clouding him out. For us to be filled with God, we must first be emptied of the things of the world. A.W. Tozer said, before God, before God can use a man greatly, he must first hurt him deeply. It's this idea that and that we have to come to the end of ourselves. We have to realize we have nothing to bring to the table. I need you, Jesus, fill me. We have to empty ourselves of all this stuff. And that's what fasting is all about. Fasting breaks the chains of enslavement, primarily to food, but also to our fleshly passions. It helps us draw near to Jesus. It, It helps us invite his activity into our lives. This morning, I pray that each of us would take that invitation. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, I believe that God has something for you regardless of the fact that you came on a week on fasting. God wants you to know that he does not want you to be enslaved by your passions either. He doesn't want you to be stuck in your sin. Sin always comes with a price. And that price is twofold. The first part of it is being separated from God for eternity, being cut off from our maker, The wages of sin is death, and that's the penalty. The penalty of sin is death. But that's not the only price. The second part of the price is not being able to live a life of freedom from the things that are trying to enslave us. We get to this place where we can't say no to anything. If you don't know Jesus, maybe you're feeling the penalty today. Maybe you feel condemned. Maybe you feel like, well, I'm cut off from God. Or maybe you feel enslaved to your passions. Like you're trying to get your screen time down, but you're like, I can't do it. That's the price of sin. It enslaves us and it condemns us. But the good news is God does not leave us that way. Jesus came to save us from both the penalty and the slavery of sin. Fasting or any other religious work can't free us from sin on its own. Only Jesus can. He did this by coming and living the perfect life within our fallen world. Even when he was tempted to sin, even when people mocked him and spit on him, he didn't sin. He did not not react. Instead, he continually said no to himself and he lived a perfect life. And he lived that perfect life so those who put their trust in him could have his perfect life deposited into us because he lived a perfect life. If we trust him, when God looks at us, he won't see our filthy rags. and he'll see Christ himself. When God looks at you, if you're a follower of Jesus, he sees Jesus. But he didn't just live a perfect life, right? He didn't just do that. He also, and he died on a tree for our sins, he paid our penalty. He paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus marked that wage paid when he died for us. But he didn't just die. It gets better and better and better. He goes into a grave. He's defeated. He's dead. There's no breath in his lungs, and then after three days, he rises up from the grave, and he says, death does not have the final word. He says, eternal life with God is possible. If you only trust in me, you'll have eternal life, and that's what Jesus is calling us to this morning. If you are here, and you do not follow Jesus, or Jesus, he is calling you to place your trust in him, so his perfect life can be put on you. Put your trust in him, so or so you can be forgiven of your sins. Put your trust in him so God can raise your body up on the last day as well to be with him for eternity. That is the beautiful reward of putting our trust in Jesus. So this morning, if you would bow your heads and close your eyes, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. I believe that Jesus is calling some people home this morning. If that's you, the way I want to do this, it's just a simple thing. It's just between you and God. Nobody's looking around. I'm going to count to Three. And when I do, I just want you to slip up your hand saying, Jesus, I want to put my faith in you. I want to put my trust in you. I want to be forgiven of my sin. So if you don't know Jesus or you once sitting and you walked away, here's your opportunity to put your trust in him. So one, two, three. Slip up your hands all across this room, all across this room. I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. Is there anybody else this morning? All right, you can put your hands down. Let's pray. Simple prayer saying, God, we trust you. All right. Jesus, this morning, we come to you and we recognize that each of us have sinned and we've fallen short of your glory. God, we recognize that the wage of sin is death. Our penalty, the thing we deserve, is death. But Jesus, we thank you that you paid the price for our sins on the cross. And God, we thank you that you didn't just pay the price, you came up out of the grave. And you declared death defeated. You said that this world is not all there is, but I'm bringing in another world, a world where there's no sickness or pain or death. And God, we thank you for the opportunity to be a part of this world. So this morning, God, we put our trust in you. In Jesus' name. I believe God wants us to be a people who are free from the power of sin. He wants us to be able to say no to our flesh and to walk as people who are full of the Holy Spirit. And one of the pathways, again, if you forgot, is fasting. Okay, so let's stand and let's pray as we prepare to head out of here. We're gonna worship one more time before we do, but I just wanna pray for us as a church. As you think about next week, as you think about the 14 days, as you think about incorporating this into your life, I just wanna pray that God will give you wisdom, that God will give all of us wisdom, and we'd be able to follow his will for this. So let's pray right now. Jesus, uh, we ask you right now to lead us as we think about fasting, as we consider incorporating this into our lives, as we consider our 14-day time of prayer and fasting, I just pray that you'd help us to do it, God. God, show us what we're supposed to do. Lead us in this. God, we love you. We want to be able to say no to our flesh and say yes to the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, guys, let's worship one more time.